0: Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the April 17, 2022 session, focusing on Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, Women of Mystery. I'm David Cassidy. I'm David Adams. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Bert Montgomery. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. 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 (laughs) This is a high point in the Christian calendar in uh, most congregations, and um, I am curious, because so many of us lead in in worship uh, throughout the year. I'm curious, what is your favorite aspect of the Easter service? And I'll even
1: widen it to Holy Week, if that's helpful. Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, my One of my favorites recently has been since I've been at, at this church in Starkville, Mississippi. Um, we love singing the hymn, Low in the Grave He Lay. That turns into, you know, low in the grave he lay, and then it goes up from the grave he arose. And we do that, and it's a lot of fun, but it make, it's made all the more fun because of one of our grumpy old men who... <laughs> who had to sing this as a, he always reminds us every year that when he was a kid, all the children had to stand in front of the church and sing this and do hand motions and all this stuff. And it traumatized him. And so every single Easter, we now sing it and all look to him to wait for him to complain about it Um, in a joking way. So, I mean, it is, but it's so much fun.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine's, my answer to that is not Nearly as fun as that, um, but I would I would love to see if there's video of that, Bert. I we gotta put <laughs> we gotta put that on the Faith Element website. So at the beginning of the Easter liturgy at my current church, uh, River Road Church, first of all, there's a there's a little inset altar area at the front of the sanctuary, the uh, front of the chancel. And, and it's at the end of the Good Friday service, the, the cross is, is shrouded with a, um, the fabric symbolizing death of Jesus. And then on the, the first part of the service uh, on Easter morning, someone, usually pastor or another person, will slowly walk up into the altar, um, symbolizing seeing the empty grave, remove the, the, the fabric, that, that shroud uh, on, the, on the cross, and proclaim He's risen. He's risen, and I have begun since I've been there. The tradition of then running down the aisle because you know you <laughs> you run to tell the others. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was told, if you can believe this or not, that was not done previously. <laughs> um, but I thought, well, it's it's part of the story, y'all. So anyway. I've, I've, I think I've, I've changed that a little bit. But I, I love that moment. It's so meaningful and impactful to me. Who knows? Others just, may just roll their eyes at it. But I love it.
3: I like to have fun. No shocker there. But if you've seen <laughs> me in in churches uh, Easter Sunday morning, one of my favorite things to do is to have a children's sermon where I have the younger children who are like preschoolers, come up, and I will have taken an egg during that weekend and hollowed it out, you know, knocked out both ends, blow out all the oaks and stuff. So it's an empty egg. And then by sleight of hand, I'll pull out a hard boiled egg and have them pass it around while we're talking about Easter. And then it'll give it back to me and then I'll hold up the empty egg and be talking about how, you know, everybody just knew what was in the tomb on Easter morning. But look what happened. Then I'll smash the egg and leave nothing in it. And usually you have children whose eyes get it like as big as saucers and all <gasps> you know, the shock. And all the adults enjoy watching the kids because some of them know it's coming, you know, and they want, they want to see it happen. But it, it's just a fun way to tell the Easter morning story and see the shock on the children's face because they all expected something. And what they expected is not what happened.
0: It'd be awesome if Patty switched out the egg on you without you knowing.
3: Well, I did do it it once where I had a youth as a volunteer, and I smashed it on his forehead. Oh, no. But it was the empty egg, unfortunately.
0: Uh, I'm not on church staff, so I I seldom am part of a service on Easter. So I'll share a couple of memories. One, uh, back in the 80s, when I was was on staff uh, at Mutual Park Baptist Church in Louisville, we had uh, that year, we had a fabulous youth choir, and we had— put together Celebrate Life, um, that that famous musical, and, and, of course, you know, it's got the He is Alive song that's uh, so energetic there, and so for the Easter sunrise service, believe it or not, we got the youth to come out early, <laughs> and they hid in the bushes. <laughs> we had a <laughs> green area back by the uh, the gymnasium, and, and so at, at a certain point in the Easter sunrise service, they burst out. And started singing the song, he is alive, he is. Alive. And, and it was really a, a cool moment after people, you know, caught their coffee. they, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was memorable, and it certainly was for me. Um, the, other, the other memory that I have, so we've for years were at, at Highland Hills Baptist Church in Macon, and one of the pastors there would, on Good Friday service, which is a very different mood than Easter morning, would pick up the giant altar Bible at the end of the service and would walk out slowly. And when he got at the very back of the sanctuary, would slam it shut. And it would just echo around the room. But it had this dark sense of finality about it. And, of course, the the Christ candle was, was gone. And then on Easter Sunday morning, I really always enjoyed because the choir would process in um, and, with the Christ candle. And it would be brought up in, you know. It's lit and it's back. And to me, that 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 combination of a, of a real sense of darkness and finality on, on Good Friday combined with the joyous celebration of the return on Easter Sunday, that was just a really rich kind of tradition. So, Well, however your congregation observes uh, Holy Week and Easter, I do hope it's a meaningful time for you uh, and your family. We've got uh, uh, an Easter text today, and Bert, would you help us get started with it?
1: Yes. Elwood P. Dowd is one of the most polite, kind-hearted people you could ever encounter. Of course, you can't ever really encounter Elwood P. Dowd because he's a fictional character. He is the protagonist portrayed so delightfully by Jimmy Stewart in the movie version of the play, Harvey. Now, Elwood P. Dowd has some of my all-time favorite lines from any movie, and that's saying something. One of, this, one of them is this one. He says, Years ago, my mother used to say to me, she'd say, In this world, Elwood, you must be oh-so-smart or oh-so-pleasant. Well, for years, I was smart. I recommend pleasant. And then there's this line in which Elwood is speaking with a psychiatrist. Well, I've wrestled with reality for 35 years, doctor, and I'm happy to state I finally went out over it. (laughs) Now, if you're familiar, if you're familiar with the story Harvey, then you know that the character Harvey, for whom the play and movie are titled, is Elwood's best friend. And that close friendship between Elwood and Harvey drives Elwood's family crazy to no end. In fact, they spend most of the story trying to have Elwood put away. Why? <laughs> well, because Harvey is a six-foot, three-and-a-half-inch-tall invisible rabbit. Now, quite la- naturally then, despite his friendly and non-threatening, very pleasant personality, every th- everyone thinks Elwood is flat-out bonkers. Our gospel text today, today from the 24th chapter of Luke for this Easter Sunday morning, the protagonists in this story this morning are the women. Luke's account of the story names three of them, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and then adds, and the others with them, all together, they are the women. Matthew, Mark, and John differ a little bit from Luke's version and from each other's, including who goes where and who sees what first. So just as an aside, as everything else in Scripture, we do have to avoid the temptation to say that we take everything so literally, because not even the four gospel accounts on that first Easter Sunday don't line up so neat and orderly. In fact, reading all four gospel accounts together can raise more questions. But our focus today is on Luke's telling of the story. And as I said, our heroes for this text are the women. Now, I think we could say with a high degree of certainty that these women never saw the play or the movie Harvey. However, I do think that they know all too well what happens to people who make wild claims about impossible things. The women go to the tomb. They have spices for Jesus's dead body. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. Two men in bright, shining clothes like lightning suddenly stand beside them and ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? These two mysterious, magical, angelic men remind women, remind the women of what Jesus had said before he died about being handed over to the powers that be, about being crucified and then rising again on the third day. And the women go back to the disciples and all the others with them and tell them what they saw and heard. An empty tomb and the men and the message the men told them. And quite naturally then, despite their friendly and non-threatening personalities, everyone thinks the women are flat out bonkers. Honestly, wouldn't you? I mean, truly, we'd have to be out of our minds to believe something as unbelievable as this. Now, let's face it, we can choose to believe it or choose not to believe it, but the resurrection of Christ is not something that can be scientifically proven, like, say, around earth or gravity or even death. Yet many of us do believe it. But what if, what if believing it was only part of the miracle? What if a further part of the miracle, maybe a greater miracle, was the possibility of living into it? To live into the unbelievability of resurrection? (laughs) Oh, it's questions like these that can really get you in trouble. In our real world with our understanding of how this world works and this world with all of our smarts, including our religious and faith-filled world in which we try to encapsulate and control with all of our smarts. Our expertise in understanding how economic markets work, our expertise in constructing and enshrining our treasured doctrines in discovering new and better ways to religiously um, manipulate one another, and even more effective ways to fight and destroy one another. The women in today's gospel story return from the tomb, having wrestled with reality for however many years they had lived so far, and on Easter Sunday morning, with the help of two mysterious beings, they happily went out over it. They choose to walk forward into the remainder of their lives, into the mystery of Christ's resurrection. Now, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but let's just say at the end of the Jimmy Stewart movie, Harvey, we learn that Elwood P. Dowd is actually the most sane and most real and most honest person around, <laughs> well, along with his friend Harvey. Now, friends, as Christians in our world today, we can be either oh-so-smart or oh-so-pleasant. Well, we've spent 2,000 years making Christianity smart and certain. Maybe with the mystery of the resurrection, we're invited this year to be more pleasant.
2: Thank you, Bert, for that wonderful reflection. And I know it's not the totality of what you said but i was i was really struck by the fact that i think i have this right that you said part of the unbelievability of the easter story is not simply christ's resurrection but that we too can live into it i don't know why it's the case but so so many of us feel like the story ends there with christ's resurrection when i i mean this is just my own theology i i personally believe that Christ's resurrection empowers our own. the The imagery I have is that Christ is outside standing outside his own empty tomb, and we're content to be dead inside the tomb you know and, and Christ is calling us to live to, to practice that resurrection in in real and profound ways um, And if only we could do that, I think we would in in very real ways live into this Easter story. i I really appreciate your bringing that up.
3: And I see two aspects of the pleasantness that you're talking about when you're bringing this up to it's Wonderfully done. But one of them is something someone once told me that we like to think of our Jesus as good and dead. You know, because a dead Jesus is something we can control. We, we have our way of dealing with it. We have our story to tell. We don't have to tell the story. We can tell our story because who's going to say we're wrong? And so we celebrated Jesus who isn't there to contradict us in our attempt to be intelligent rather than pleasant. And all too many people fall in that trap. But the other thing that pops out in this story, especially, is this idea that we often feel we have something to prove. We often feel like we have something to prove. And you can just see these women who were there and they saw this and they had this encounter and they rushed to tell somebody. And the reception they got was one of incredulity you know like oh we don't believe you you're mere women how can you know what's going on this this didn't really happen and the frustration they must have felt you know when they they went through that knowing that something better was out there something exciting and amazing had just happened and yet no one would believe it and i can see it becomes hard to be pleasant when that's your experience of faith that's what you've been through
2: yeah, and, and I don't I don't know if I'm just not quite as familiar with the with the language here, but but in verse eleven, you know, the, the New Revised Standard Version translates it as an idle tale. But these words seem to them, meaning to the apostles, an idle tale. So I, I looked it up beforehand. That the the word literally means nonsense. It, it seemed, it seemed that, that people just thought they were, oh, it was just crazy talk kind of thing. I imagine that was just one more event in which the men weren't believing the women. But at the same time, it was to the women that, that Jesus entrusted this incredible message and sent them off preaching the first sermon, post-resurrection sermon, evangelistic sermon.
1: Yeah, and it, it, you know it's amazing to me again when when we look at all four gospels together, and and we look at the differences of how each one says who did what and who saw whom, when and where on Easter Sunday morning. In this text this morning, for our lectionary text this morning, we never meet Jesus. Jesus doesn't even meet the women, right? Now that that comes, but right now we're left this. This Easter Sunday morning with a text that just has an empty tomb and two mysterious angelic-like beings, men, talking to the women. And again, as y'all have already noted, it's the women, the, the women who matter least, who certainly can't be believed, uh, who are the ones telling the story. That, hey, we've heard this. We saw these, these men who told us Jesus rose from the dead, um, just as he said. And everybody else who is, you know, the, the men, the important people, um, don't know what to do. Even Peter goes. Peter has to go and find for himself and see the empty tomb. Um, Peter doesn't believe it either. And um, it's, it's fascinating to me. What would it mean if we didn't see Jesus on East, this Easter Sunday morning? If all we saw was the empty tomb and heard people telling us about it? And we had to live a little bit longer uh, does that devalue Easter Sunday? Do we have to proclaim at this moment Jesus rose from the dead? Or can we live with the mystery of the empty tomb and what that might mean for us? And and there's a lot of controversy in this. And I think the disciples, some of them are dealing with their emotions. Did somebody steal the body? Did the Romans steal it to make fun of the, the Jewish believers, The, the Jesus' disciples? Did... One of the disciples steal it and not tell anybody else so that everybody would think he rose from the dead. Uh, you know, who's doing this? What's going on? So there's a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty on this Easter Sunday morning. And maybe this text invites us to live with questions and uncertainty uh, and what what that might mean. And And I really like this. I like this encouragement
0: to lean into the mystery um, because it is a much more humble posture as well. And when we're humble, because we are admitting we don't know it all, we don't have it all figured out. One, we can learn, right? I mean, you're open to newness if you're open to mystery because you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's possible. Uh, So I really, I love this idea of a more humble approach to resurrection, Mm -hmm. in which when people sensibly say to us, do you really believe he rose from the dead? Mm. I cannot prove that. I really can't. I don't have proof. I
1: have faith. Mm. And we don't have to prove it. And again, I love that for me in the last few years, the movie Harvey has really taken a good meaning to me because Elwood doesn't go around having to prove to everybody that Harvey exists. He knows it, it defines him, and he's happy. Well, you take it or leave it, fine, but this is who he is, who Elwood is, and he lives with his friend Army. We could live with the risen Christ, whether or not anybody else ever knows, and we don't have to convince people to believe anything, to live as Christ lived, as mm-hmm. Christ lives in us, right? To love others, to forgive others, to extend grace, to hang out with sinners and and welcome them like... Like they have always belonged, uh, you know the controversy from previous text in Luke. Um, no, we don't have to prove that to anybody no. for that to be real for us.
2: This is where I think Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the the women who receive uh, this this wonderful news and then go and tell the others, I think I think they can be an incredible both model and challenge to me, because I mean, if I put myself in their shoes. I see the empty tomb, you know, and 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 I feel like I'm charged to to go and share this word. I first need to figure out what happened. All right, let me let, let me find Jesus, then let me figure out exactly how he did this. Jesus, what you know, they're gonna ask questions and I'm gonna need to answer their questions. You know, I would immediately get in research mode. You know, and and <laughs> I I need to figure this out so so I can then tell the others. When these women don't don't wait for the full explanation. They don't wait for all the research to be done or to have have every i dotted and t crossed. They simply run back and tell what they what they know, what they have experienced. And if I can draw that line to to how we're called to do the same, I have no literal proof of the resurrection other than by God's grace, I've gotten to see it, and I've gotten to experience it. That's all I have to share.
0: And the newness that has been born within us through it. Yeah. I, I know we look forward to springtime each year because of just the ritual of planting new flowers and plants and and watching them grow. I like to think that, that the resurrection makes us aware of the new growth that's possible within us and among us and with us together.
3: I think we're illustrating another, I hate to rain on the parade here, but (laughs) there's a problem that we've got here. And that is our tendency to live into the resurrection and to understand it and to work with it often depends on the medium by which we've received it. And there are places in our tradition we don't like it but it's true where it holds us back i mean even if you just get down to the, the fact that the root of the word hysteria is basically denotes women mm-hmm. you know it's it's just assumed that a hey, certain people are not credible witnesses they can't credibly tell us this and sure we've got this biblical account of women not being taken seriously but in how many places have our congregations have we have christians not properly taking people seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point to make, especially as as our listeners are clearly aware today. These are all male voices on the podcast today. We are missing uh, Crystal and Nikki and the perspectives they bring uh, today. It just so happened that neither neither could be with us,
1: but I think your point is so well taken. Let me let me follow up with that, David. Yeah, we're, we're all not just men; we're all white Anglo-Protestant <laughs> men, all ordained ministers, and all have done church service or in church service, or in your case, president of preparing people for church service. Um, so, with that, let's not let's not forget the whole setting here. If we took what was happening and put it in a church setting. The pastor and the deacons were holed up in an office somewhere or hiding out in somebody's house, right? And it wasn't even the important, it wasn't even the leaders of the WMU. It was just the common servant women, because that's what the women would do, would be to serve the men. It was the common ordinary members, not even the people who've been elected to office or Sunday school teachers or any of these people, but just the people on the fringes that we we want to come in and do servant stuff for us, but they can't be in leadership positions. They're the ones who are doing the simple grunt work of humble service for a dead body. They're serving, they're out to serve their beloved dead Jesus, to to put spices and anoint his body for burial. Maybe, maybe the the least among us Boy, this is a gospel theme, isn't it? Boy, it's the least of among us who are doing servant work, Mm. who are most receptive to the message of resurrection.
0: Mm. Well, it's it's going to be hard to top those comments, Bert. So I'm not going to try to top them. I'm going to try to connect with them uh, as I as I bring us to a close today. You know, Easter is one of those occasions when we uh, sometimes go out and buy new clothes. We want to show up in our very best, all spiffy and clean and ready to go. And Pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber reflects on this tendency of ourselves to get all cleaned up and sparkly for, for Easter. And in a piece that she wrote that's called, What's New is Often Messy. She reminds us of the messiness of of newness. So let me close us out today with uh, this short bit that she has written, and we'll link to it in the show notes. She says, Jesus didn't look very impressive when he was resurrected. Jesus still had the dirt from his own tomb under his nails. Of course, the depictions in churches of the risen Christ never showed dirt under his nails. It's as if he needed to be tidied up so he'd look more impressive, and no one would be offended by the truth. I would have never agreed to work for God, if I believed God was interested in trying to make me nice or even good. Instead, what I subconsciously knew was that God was never about making me spiffy. God was about making me new, and new doesn't always look perfect. New is often messy. New looks like recovering alcoholics. New looks like the reconciliation between family members who don't actually deserve it. New looks like every time I manage to admit I was wrong and every time I managed to not mention when I'm right. New looks like every fresh start and every act of forgiveness and every moment of letting go what we thought we couldn't live without and then somehow living without it anyway. New is the thing we never saw coming, never even hoped for, but ends up being what we needed all along. God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of humanity and resurrecting us from the graves we dig ourselves through our violence and our lies and our selfishness and our arrogance and our addictions. And God keeps loving us back to life over and over. Amen. 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 Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.